Maggie was shot, um, you know, five times and was found face down on a cement path. There were some things, though, that were really curious. Uh, shot through the abdomen, and somehow it made it all the way up to her brain. And then also shot in the left wrist, left thigh, back of the scalp, and then the upper abdomen. She was 30 yards away from Paul. She was shot with a rifle. And Paul, he was shot with a shotgun, also found face down. He was shot in the shoulder and the head. And he was also shot in the chest. And two different types of ammunition were used. That's just so confusing. Look at those two directions. One shot goes up, and the other one shot goes up another way. I want to bring in Joseph Scott Morgan. He's a certified death investigator. He's also a distinguished scholar of applied forensics at Jacksonville State University. I couldn't make any sense of the trajectories of those bullets, but I know you can, so help me out. Yeah, it's it's rather layered and complicated. Uh, let's 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 talk about Paul first, if you don't mind, Ash. Um, he's got two gunshot wounds, which are actually shotgun wounds. And as you mentioned, this is very curious. The writer of this report, who by the way is not a physician, this is not the autopsy report. Please understand that the injuries that he sustained are, in fact, as a result of the first wound, and this does not. This is this is not indicating sequence of wounds. It's just they're numbered this way. Okay. First one is from birdshot, all right, which is for small game. This is the one that this individual has identified as taking out the back of Paul's skull. I have a model here where we're looking at a skull. It would have impacted this area coming up from the left shoulder, impacting the occipital area, occipital parietal area and kind of blown this out, okay? And he's saying that the brain has essentially, it's absent from the cranial vault, the interior of the skull. So it's got this kind of weird trajectory going out. It's passed through the neck and up. So that's a very acute angle with him. And there's no soot, there's no stippling on that, which means that the debris from the firing would have been deposited on the wound. That's not there in the shot. However, when you so go to his far chest- away. The shooter's far away, right? For that, for the stippling yeah, not to be there. It would okay, have so fallen away. On the chest, that was with buckshot. There's eight pellets, 32 caliber, essentially. And so there is stippling there, Ash. Oh. That means that this, this shot was up close. It was up close enough so that you have unburned gunpowder that's impacting onto this wound, according to this individual. Now we go to Maggie, we go to Maggie in, in her perspective, there are multiple gunshot wounds, but this is the key. And they're in these odd, weird, twisted kind of, she's got one Very through her strange. wrist. Yeah, and then well, one look through at her Joe. thigh. Look at how yeah. the, the one on the right goes from her, her hip and it goes upward through her uh, chest area, shoulder, and into her brain. But then the other one comes from the other direction, across her wrist and across her abdomen and out. And then still another one goes through the wrist and possibly the thigh. And the fifth one, down through the skull. Is this someone shooting her as she's falling? Because there's some description that it seemed like she was on her knees, leaning over with her shoulders and her head down, and maybe holding herself up with her right her right arm. Yeah. Does that make There's, sense with those yeah, it's directions? Dynamic. Right. And by the way, folks did a great job with this image. However, we have to understand this two-dimensional two image. We work in a 3D world. So it's very dynamic, yet twisting and turning. 
she's got a wound that passes through her wrist. When many times we would say, you know, that's a reflexive injury like that. Sure. But she's also got another one in her side. But there's a progression with these injuries. You get up to one, and the one in the back of her head is actually there's a deposition of soot there. You know what that's an indication of, Ash? That's an indication of being in a position of dominance, asymmetry to her, dominating over her. It's almost in the form of an execution-style shot. So she is probably moving away from the shooter at this point in time, and he's firing down range at her as she is moving away. She goes down to the ground. Again, she's twisting. She's aware that she's been shot. And then finally, the coup de grace is he's on top of her and fires down into her head. Now, so what position she was in, I have no idea at that time. It's so hard to, to fathom all of this. It just sounds like you're describing a yeah. movie, and, and you're not, and that's what's so tragic. I do want to ask you, though, about this confuses me, but mm -hmm. both a shotgun and a rifle are used. A shotgun yeah. on Paul and a <laughs> rifle on Maggie. And then on yeah. Paul, like you said, buckshot and birdshot. Can one person really do all that? Uh, well, it would seem that at least that's the appearance. Uh, there was, it, to me, okay, there's an indication of deception here. You've got two separate types of ammo for the shotgun, birdshot and buckshot. Most people, you you lo you load one or one or either one, one or of these. the other, not yeah. not a mixture. And why two yeah. long arms, which are shoulder fired arms? Generally, with a rifle, shoulder fired, you have a sidearm, a pistol on your side, and you can transition. People in law enforcement, and military, do that. This is an oddball case, Ash. I want to state that plainly here. I've never come across a case where we have two long guns being fired by one individual. I can't really frame this in any other sense other than was the purpose here to deceive to create an illusion yeah. that maybe there was one than more more than one shooter can you pet oh, mom i think she's upset yeah no she's Don't more than me. upset she's pissed so i'm just like yeah. let's move on Don't please me. Let's i'm move ready on. to get on with the case Don't do my nose this is ridiculous <laughs> well anyway we had a little pizza episode in between oh, part one and part two we are now live. I just want to go on record that mom has a fussy face. And hopefully by discussing true crime, it'll put her in a good mood like it does me. I do like my true crime. All right. We're about to witness one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might have. Oh, now, I, I want to know, does best friend, is she caught up? You know what I'm saying? His best friend um, caught up. Does she know what's happening? He's on doing video, something on her phone. The whole thing, yes. Okay. All right. Exactly what we're all talking about. I don't know if she's listened to the whole thing, but I, she does know the Well, case. that's okay. That's okay. Whatever. Mm -hmm. All right. So here's another potential crime. And at first, when I heard about the death of Stephen Smith, I was really skeptical like, how on earth are they tying the Murdoch family to this case? And why are they doing that? It's like they're, it's, it almost felt like they're trying to tie every crime on, like, in that county to the Murdochs, you know? So I dug into it. Do I need to let y'all visit? Or are we? And usually it is tied into them. So, <laughs> right, right. So far it has been. Okay. Yeah. So this death is the death of 19-year-old, and like I said, Stephen Smith. Stephen, and I'm just quoting this, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is it might be important to the case, 
was a very bold and an openly gay man in South Carolina. Um, and they're Can thinking, you tell the date real quick? Uh, July 8th, okay. 2015. Okay. Um, so he, I mean, you know, South Carolina, I'm sure, has more people that are gay. Mm-hmm. Um, but in mm-hmm. the urban areas, probably mostly. I don't know how the more rural areas are. I know back when I would go there um, in North Carolina in the South, it was just a huge no-no. So I'm not sure about today how it is. But uh, they they think it might be a hate crime. He's in small town South Carolina, and he's found in the middle of the road, a rural road, in the early morning hours of July 8th. His skull was partially crushed and bleeding, but there was also a large hole in his forehead, and then his shoulder had been dislocated. And at first, um, investigators thought he'd been shot, but then later, Mm -hmm. they changed it to hit and run. And... You know, I mean, he's out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, He's not by his car. So they thought that maybe he had run out of gas and that he was walking uh, down the road because he was found three miles from his vehicle and the gas cap was open on it. But Mm -hmm. what was weird to the detectives is that his wallet was in the car. So Yeah, so you're going for gas, but you have no wallet. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I mean, like, why would he leave his wallet there? And then, you know, like maybe he was walking home versus a gas station when he was hit. um, Or was he taken to that area? But the Murdoch connection is interesting because when they were investigating Maggie and Paul's death, several anonymous tips and non-anonymous tips came in saying that Buster and Paul were out driving around the night of Stephen's death that they spotted Stephen and that Paul pegged him with a bat. Because is Paul the oldest? No, don't, don't get ahead. Don't get ahead. Yeah. Hang on. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So they're saying that Paul pegged him with a bat and that's consistent with the head wound. But some have said that Buster and Steven had a relationship. And this came mm-hmm. from Buster's best friend. But mm-hmm. I couldn't verify it. I couldn't find any police reports. I couldn't find any audio. Um, so, but that is another rumor, not necessarily a fact. But I could see Paul doing something. Now, let me play. Oh, and by the way, I wanted you guys to see... Let me share my screen really fast because I wanted you to see the drive in or the driveway of Moselle. So see how this is the entrance to where Gloria fell down the steps, you know, to the house and also where Paul and Maggie were discovered shot to death. Mm -hmm. So you can see that long winding road and the house is back there. So pretty. Yeah, it's real pretty. It's a massive piece of property. But let me get to um, some of these tips. Okay, hang on.
would hear all these rumors, but they were all the same type of stories. I was trying to share the screen so you could see the video and it kept stopping it. Um, okay, so that was several kids that knew Buster and Paul that were saying everybody said they did it. And I wanted, I do want to show you a picture of Stephen. This is him with his mom. He was very liked, too. He was. Yeah. Uh, a, everyone loved that kid. Yeah. A Cute lot kid. of yeah a lot of people liked them and uh so, so young. do what so young yeah he was really young um the I, I, the guy that was on that video it's the Murdaugh murders on discovery plus his name is Michael Duncan, and he was a, one of the cops that was at the scene when they discovered Stephen. He said there was no way it was a hit and run, 100% not. And I don't know if y'all heard on that last uh, tip, but the girl said that they know nothing will happen to B Buster because of who he is. Oh, yeah. And the family that he comes from. And Are you going to get into why the policeman, he said that it wasn't a hit and run? Yeah. Uh, so he okay. said that uh, he was murdered because, number one, his clothes were not ruined, which you typically see in a hit and run. Also, there weren't any car parts at the scene. So normally, you know, you have broken glass and things like that. But there's not always parts at the scene, but it is pretty common. Plus, he didn't have any more injuries except for the head wound and the shoulder dislocation which if you got hit by a vehicle you're going to have a lot more going on and then he also spoke with steven's boyfriend a week later so let me get that audio file um there also was no um skid marks like you'd stop when you hit someone right mm -hmm. okay here we go so I wanted to find out one, was he someone that was of some interest in this case? What was the conversation y'all were talking about? He asked them on one of the calls, yeah, are you walking? Because your car is going by and he, his answer to me was no. And then the call dropped. He didn't know exactly where Stephen was at. He did say um, that he felt he was being followed. He said that he was being harassed. The more I talked with him, he was more concerned about finding Stevens killer instead of it being him. You want me to take the watch detective test? I'm telling you, I'll do it. Let's do it. Set it up. Okay. Let's do it. I'm telling you, I didn't do this. It was getting clearer that this person was not of somebody of, of interest. At okay, so he's referring to Stevens boyfriend and he's telling him that on the night that Stephen was hit 
uh, Stephen told him that he was worried because he's being harassed by two guys in a pickup. And that would mm. fit the rest of the, you know, the reports. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that they did it. But again, I could not prove that him and Buster had a relationship. Um, I could see both of them, or at least Paul, who tried to act very macho, being, you know, someone that might hate gay men and would happily bash them in the head. But here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if something happened to Stephen's car and that he had to start walking or was he ran off the side of the road and then no because the all the reports said that they were in the vehicle and they pegged him in the head with the bat so they had to have been driving well there are rumors that or speculation that buster was having that uh, gay relationship with the young man and because of who his family was he was afraid it would get out and that he told Paul, and they actually were looking for him. Yeah, I don't again, know if it's true. It's rumors, I'm just that was you know, the count that that I heard, but yeah, it's just I can't confirm that that was the case. I mean, nothing else has come up except for rumors, which again, the tips are also rumors. But yeah. the police are like, "Hey, it sounds like this kid was killed," and that cop is like, "He was a hundred percent killed. Um, he was not a hit and run." So what I wonder is did they do it and then they went to his car locked it and opened the gas cap to make it look like he was walking to get gas and he got ran over that would explain I the think, wallet being in the car yeah but his wounds warned up someone that got run over right i didn't say that they were oh well, i thought you said he could have got run over no, I said Locked. hit. No, for them to make it look like he got ran over, oh, that okay. after they hit him in the head with the bat, they then went to his car and made it look like he had run out of gas. Oh, okay. I see. I agree. Mm-hmm. I do think it was them. I think it was Paul and Buster. You know, what's interesting is why they would say it was an accident. You know, the police and the coroner. Yeah. Well, I'm sure because of the Murdoch family. A lot of people that get hit by cars only know this because I it happened not at one of my stores. And the police had said typically when people are hit by a car, their shoes come off. Mm. I don't know why. I guess the impact, you know, their shoes typically come off. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I, Not yeah. to say that happens to all of them, but I'm just saying. At least one. I mean, usually in, when you see... Seems like that at least one shoe is off that person. Right. Mm-hmm. I agree. Also, his mom and sis- sister said that there was no way Stephen would have been walking in the middle of the road or on the street at all because whenever him and his sister would walk in the past, they'd hide in the woods whenever cars were coming by because Stephen didn't want anyone to get them. And he would kind of joke around about it. But I personally believe that Stephen knew that his life was in danger probably just because he was a gay man. Like not, Uh, you know, anybody specifically was going after him except that night he figured it out, but just in general. Yeah, that town, because back then, yeah. 
especially mm-hmm. in the small towns. It wasn't acceptable. People hate crimes. Yeah. I mean, it's still today. So, oh. okay. I understand what you said. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now we're to a guy named Timmy. Paul Paul Murdoch was a poop bird, and I do not hate to speak ill of the dead. It's a fact. That's a son. Yes. At the time of his death, he was facing trial for felony boat driving charges that killed 19-year-old Mallory Beach, February 24th, 2019, while he was drunk. He was out on bail when he was killed with his mother. And it appears that Paul had a drunken ego named Timmy. Yes. And this first emerged when he was 16. So Timmy only came out to play when Paul was drunk. So it's like he turned into a totally different person and they nicknamed him Timmy. And, and you know, friends just came up with that name. And they'd say, all right, here comes Timmy. We got to go. And Timmy's... Timmy's telltale arrival was he would strip down to his boxer shorts. And that's important to remember. Okay. Yep. So on the night of the accident, lifelong friends, which included Paul and his girlfriend, uh, Morgan Dowdy, plus two other, uh, and that's his girlfriend, plus two other couples, Connor Cook and Miley Altman, and then uh, Anthony Cook, which is Connor's cousin, and Mallory Beach. They attended a... Uh, an oyster roast, and I'm going to show you their pictures. So this is Poop Bird, Timmy, or Paul, and that's his girlfriend. This in the middle is Mallory Beach, and then her boyfriend, uh, Anthony, and then this is the cousin, Connor, with his girlfriend, Miley. Okay? Yeah, cute couple. And, um, let's see. I want to make sure I don't have another. Paul looks looks like his dad. And this is little, uh, Mm -hmm. Miley as well. And, uh, so yeah, they had gone on, um, I, the boat, cause the area where they're at is like a swampy and there's a lot of uh, water features. And, uh, so they, the easiest way to get to the oyster roast was by boat. So they went to um, uh, Paul's grandfather's boathouse and got his boat. And then there's video footage of the friends uh, at Parker's gas station getting fuel. But what you see is Paul comes out holding up two large cases of beer like he had a victory deal. Yeah. So they have all of this beer. He's buying alcohol, and he used his brother's ID to buy the booze. That his brother gave to him. It wasn't stolen. Right. And it was still daylight in the video, but it looked like it was almost dusk, maybe. And uh, so I think that they started drinking before the oyster roast. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they drunk at the, drank at the roast as well, but there for sure had been a lot of drinking. They left the roast around midnight and by 2 a.m. they were still not home so we know a little bit about what they did so let me pull up the video um okay let's see here okay this is what you're seeing is a video 
of see um, Paul and then Anthony go into this bar. Uh, the girls and um, Connor did not. No, I'm sorry, not Anthony. Connor and Paul went into the bar and then Anthony stayed with the girls outside because they didn't want to drink anymore. And so they go into the bar. Their ID, you can see right on this side of the screen, is being checked. And they're allowed to go in um, with their IDs. They sit down at the bar and they drink more. So this is um, after the, the row. So it's definitely after midnight. And they're now um, drinking more. And it looks like they did shots. Okay. So this is the video. And, you know, you can just see that they're, they're, you know, drinking their drinks. Um, Paul buys the first round, all of that. Okay. Now let's see here. Um, so they buy more drinks. It was a very short period of time, which if you've ever drank, you know, that if you've drank too fast, it hits you suddenly. Right. Okay. Then, this is video of that night. They're walking down this walkway, and and look at how Paul is walking. Do you notice anything that stands out to you? He's got boxers on. <laughs> well, no, he's actually wearing jeans. Oh, well, he's walking like. They're drunk. Yeah, so definitely drunk. Um, his girlfriend is up front. I don't know if you noticed that. Yep. But he has a very aggressive stance. His arms were out. And I think he's already causing problems. And then what's sad is this right here is the last footage of Anthony and Mallory um, walking together, having like a little, a little moment. And again, they might have all drank, but... The girls and Anthony did not drink anymore, and they didn't go into the bar. So um, this is the last shot of Mallory alive. Some of, some of them didn't want to get back on the boat either. Well, I'll get into that. You know, Mom, you're not allowed to watch any shows before we do a podcast well, ever again. I, ever. All right. <laughs> ever. It's like. Okay. You're, you're getting into my, my business here. I'm sorry. Okay. I'll be quiet. Well, no, say something, but just don't get ahead of me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> stay behind the line. Okay. Um, by 2 a.m., they're not home. And they would have headed uh, toward Archer's Creek Bridge, which is by Paris Island. Uh, Dad was there in the Marine Corps. So it's in mm. that uh, area. It's a very dangerous uh, water, though, waterway. And the temperature, because this is in February, was 57 degrees. The water temperature was 67 degrees. But here's what was bad. They had really um, heavy sea fog that night. So what did you, you say the water was? 67. 67, yeah. It, was I, it surprised me. I figured it would yeah. be colder. Me too. The fog, so sea fog means that it hovers over the water and it makes it very difficult um, 
to navigate, plus it's pitch black and it's a dangerous water route, and then you have uh, them drunk, okay? Mm. Investigators later learned that the teenagers did not go home, but they instead were forced to go with Paul to that local bar, of which we saw the footage, okay? Mm -hmm. So after the roast, they wanted to go home, but he wouldn't let them. So Timmy had already showed up. And they go down to the bar, and that's why everybody else stayed outside because they weren't interested, and then Connor and Paul went in. They left the bar staggering, and then you can see in the footage, so his arms are out, but also he was doing weird things with his hands like this. He was like clenching them off and on, and that's a for sure sign of aggression. A lot of anger. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why I was asking if y'all noticed, you know, because his arms came out and he's doing weird things with his hands. So the girls and Anthony, they uh, swung on some swings while they were in the bar. And like I said, you saw that sweet moment between Anthony and Mallory. Well, when Anthony and everybody, they got to the, the boat, he's like, let me drive. And Paul argued with them and he almost hit, uh, well, he wanted to fight them, but then they get in the boat, and as they were leaving, he almost hit some cell bo- cell boats. So they're well. They're... I want to say something, but I don't know if it's jumping ahead. Go ahead. Okay. He also didn't he slap his girlfriend. I was going to get to that. Yep. Oh. yep. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> so. After he hit the sailboats, now everybody's mad, including the girlfriend. So like you were saying, he not only hit her, he also spit on her. Oh, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. That's and, Timmy, his alter ego. Yep. And then after he hit her, he stripped down to his boxer shorts. And then he stopped the boat because everybody's arguing. So imagine this scene. They're intoxicated, they're tired, they didn't want to go to the bar, they wanted to go home. Timmy has shown up, he's stripped down to his boxer shorts, it's 56 degrees, he's being a complete jerk, and so he just stops the boat in the middle of the water. And then all of a sudden, he took off at full throttle. Mm-hmm. If you heard the door that's slam, that's because it did, because I'm getting my cats. Yeah. So Mallory and Anthony, they hit the deck, and uh, that's when the boat hit Archer's Creek Bridge. It was a piling that it hit head on, and it almost split the boat in two. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me get to this right here. Look at that. That's bad. And there's not, yeah, Mm -hmm. there's blood. There's not tons of space on this boat. But you can see, you know, that it hit um, that side. And now that he's dead, they can show the the pictures because, um, you know, they drop the charges, obviously, because they're not going to be able to try them. But that's... It's bad. And so when he, I don't know why I had my microphone down there because I turned the sound off. Right. Goodness. Anyway. Okay. Um, So the boat hits it. 
uh, Paul, Mallory, and Anthony were thrown from the boat in the middle of the night with sea fog. Connor's mm. face was split open and his jaw was broken. And drunk. Mm-hmm. Yes. Morgan's hand was severely injured. Both had to have surgery. Paul and Anthony were able to get back into the boat, but they couldn't find uh, Mallory. And you can hear on the 911 call, they're screaming for her. Mm-hmm. The girls are crying. They're screaming for Mallory. They can't find her. Anthony is freaking out because his girlfriend is missing. First responders arrive at 2.46 a.m. to carnage. I mean, it was bad. And the youth were intoxicated really, really bad as well. Mallory's boyfriend was beside himself, and Paul was walking around in his boxer shorts, mouthing off and smiling. Yep. And that really upset Tam- uh, Anthony, and he wanted to fight him. He's calling him Mother Effer and every kind of name. And he's like, he just killed my girlfriend. You just killed my girlfriend. And, you know, and you're smiling. There was a recording of that, too. Him I know. It. And I couldn't find the shorter version or I'd pay uh-huh. it or play it. So Paul asked to borrow uh, someone's cell phone, which they shouldn't have done that because um, he finally used an EMT's phone and he called his grandfather Randolph the third and he lied and said that Connor was driving the boat mm-hmm. but he wow. wasn't yeah and Miley um I'm sorry not Miley um Connor and Anthony um no I, uh, Morgan wait a minute I'm getting myself confused it was um Connor's girlfriend uh yeah Miley I get confused between Miley and Mallory so Connor and his girlfriend, Miley, overheard him telling the cops that and, uh, and you know, obviously said that he was lying. And a lot of people feel that the police didn't handle the case correctly just because of who the family was. I agree. A, sobri- a sobriety test was not done at the scene. They did it one and a half hours later at the hospital. So it's still probably high though. It was. Yeah. But usually they'll do it immediately or take blood immediately when they get at the hospital. And then Anthony refused to go to the hospital. He wouldn't go. He called his mom very upset and, um, that he couldn't find his girlfriend. And, Mm -hmm. uh, at the hospital, Paul, AKA Timmy is acting very inappropriate. He's belligerent. Uh, Randolph and Alex showed up. They spoke with Paul. Then they started searching for the kids' rooms to talk with them. The dad and grandfather. Mm-hmm. Morgan mm-hmm. was so afraid of them that she asked the staff to not let them in her room again. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. And the staff told them to cut it out. They tracked down Connor as he was being wheeled to surgery. And told them, don't worry, they'd help him. And obviously, they would get him off because he was the one driving. Yep. Which he wasn't. They thought that, yep. Yeah. So, they're doing damage control while Mallory is in the water and no one knows where she's at. And didn't even ask how the kids were, each room they went into. They just said they'd pay him or say he did this. Yep. Did that. They were up for Paul. Yeah, didn't care. 
Everyone that had a boat, which was a lot of people in that area, they searched for her every single day. They found her March 3rd. She had died of blunt force trauma and drowning. After much insistence, and two months later, Paul was finally charged. He was booked, but let me see if you notice anything about his booking photo that's a little weird. After much insisting. So that's his booking photo next to Mallory. Anything seem strange? Besides his little spark? Or the fact that he's not wearing a jumpsuit? They yeah. t- they took him to the hallway and yeah. upon their request, took his photo in street clothes. So it looks like a yearbook photo, not like someone that's facing 25 years in prison. Yeah, he that just... Mark. That bugs Isn't it me. Common to whenever you're charged to get booked and then you have to change. I don't know. Well, yes, but on booking photos, well, it depends on the department. But on most booking photos, they have your measurements. You know, like it looks like a booking photo. It's not done in the uh-huh. hallway. Right. Yeah, because you're right. But, some it's street clothes. Some they go ahead and get you out of them. I wonder if it was because it was a small town, a small station. I don't know. Maybe. But he was... By the book with this whole situation, in my opinion. I agree. And he was ordered not to drink anything, but they got video of him drinking heavily at a party after the indictment. So the Beach family is suing the Murdochs, the gas station and everyone else that's involved in the incident. Uh, Investigators later learned that when Timmy came out, he'd want to fight everyone around him and he couldn't be reasoned with. They also found out that he started drinking at the age of 14 or 15. And then he, you know, like we said, might have been killing small animals. So I I think he was definitely a psychopath, meaning low empathy. Um, But you can imagine you got all these lawsuits. You have Paul that's facing 25 years. You know, everything is just terrible, um, falling apart because the truth buried never stays buried. It always comes out. And so here is the last bit as far as um, a full circle back to Maggie and Paul. I was surprised to learn this. Okay, so here's some facts. Okay, so let's say that Alex Murdoch, fathead, wanted to get rid of Paul because of all the mess, right? Right. But it still leaves, why would he want to get rid of Maggie? Um, did Maggie know about his drug use, his drug dealing, the stolen money, um, you know, all the corruption, and she didn't want to have any more to do with them? Well, at the time of the murders... Alex claimed that he was visiting his mom, who has dementia, or his father. I can't remember. Some of the reports were either or. Do you remember which one? I don't remember which one. Okay. And but I know he was visiting a parent. I, I remember that, but I don't know who. I got it makes sense that he would visit a dementia parent. Mm-hmm. Yes. So can- yeah. I think here's what I think, and why people got confused. I think his mom had dementia and his dad was ill. I think that's what was happening. 
Um, and they were saying, you know, he'd have no motive to kill his wife and son. He was, you know, visiting his parents. Um, but here's some alleged tidbits. On the night of the murder, Alex asked Maggie to meet him at the hunting estate. And I got the acres here. It's like 1,770 acres. Wow. To discuss that his father, Randolph Murdoch III, was failing quickly as far as health-wise and that she needed to see him before he died. But why would she want to meet, or why would he want to meet her at the hunting estate? So she said, no, um, let's just go to the hospital. I'll meet you there. At the time, she was living not at the hunting estate. She was living at their beach house on Edisto Island, which was about an hour away due to, quote, her words, rough patch in their marriage. Oh. Mm-hmm. So. I know that. I don't, I mean, it's not surprising because if he's addicted to drugs, he's probably being weird. But obviously their marriage is having troubles. And some say that she had already consulted a divorce attorney as well, but I wasn't able to confirm that. So like I said, Maggie's like, no, we don't need to meet at the hunting lodge. I'm an hour away. He's at the hospital. Let's just go to the hospital where Randolph III is at. And she was also suspicious. And she messaged a friend saying that Alex's behavior was, quote, fishy. He's up to something. And she went anyway. Uh, you said messaged. Mm-hmm. Was that um, was the message verified, or is it just? Mm-hmm. And I, I think oh, it was okay. a text message. Good. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, in spite of her gut feeling, which you should always listen to, she agreed to meet him at the estate, and then she would follow him from there to the hospital. I don't know where Paul was. I don't know if he was already at the estate. I kind of wonder if he showed up later. Uh or Mm. he was already killed and then she showed up because how do you get control of two people now if you have two people and you have a gun on them i can see you can get control but how do you shoot one with one gun and the other with the other gun and Uh one of them not run that's what i was thinking earlier so i wonder if she showed up he shot her and then the son showed up and saw it or vice versa yeah yeah. Mm. So I don't think they were shot at the same time. I think that he did one and then the other, which would be the discrepancy of time of death and then the 911 call. Mm-hmm. And one was a rifle, wasn't it? Yeah. And one was a semi automatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shotgun. Uh, shotgun. So yeah. definitely, I believe he probably lured them separately. Paul was found dead uh, at the kennel and his mother was about 15 feet from him and this is the layout um so here's one of the the a close-up of the crime scene but you got the storage room um and then here is one body right here i'm not sure which one that is i think it's paul and then the mother was found 19 feet from him so Definitely, they were shot at separate times, and just the way and the timing and everything. I think it was the same person. They also what the what the coroner say? I couldn't find if the time of death was different, but uh, it probably wasn't far enough apart to really know, though. 
You know, like there right. has to be quite probably a significant amount of time for them to say, yeah, this one was killed an hour before this one. And a, a full hour, I don't think, occurred. They okay. also found blood spatter on his clothes, his cell phone, watch, and vehicle GPS contradict that he was at the hospital. And to top it off, there's cell phone audio and video that places him at the scene talking yep. with Maggie moments before she was killed. Mm-hmm. That was a surprise plus. When that came out, I mean, how dumb. So, I mean, I think, um, okay, prosecutors have suggested that the family patriarch murdered Paul and Maggie over mounting debt in fear of his decades long schemes to embezzle money from his clients would be exposed. Alex Murdaugh alleges he found his wife and son's lifeless bodies at 1006 when he placed a hysterical 911 call to police. More than an hour earlier, a video recorded at 8.44 shows Paul Murdoch with his family and his mother. The footage was retrieved from the slain son's phone. Prosecutors said the victims were killed between 8.44 and 10.06. So it appears that there's a um, Snapchat video that um, Paul got of the three of them together. So that then that tells me he didn't lure them separately. Why would he? Well, well, I might be confused. Why would he record it? No, I mean, there I, was a Snapchat. So like there was, they were what, together. Snapchat is um, some sort of app mm-hmm. program. It's social app. And I think it started, you have to take a picture, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. They're I didn't like know that. 10 to 15 second videos that usually disappear as well. Uh, so that it either wasn't the 24-hour period it takes for them to disappear and they found it or they were able to get into the data. But I think as far as Snapchat, it disappears in 24 hours. You can't get it, even law enforcement. So they must have looked at his phone and saw the video. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Busted. Mm-hmm. Definitely busted. And uh, so I don't know how many indictments were handed down at this point, but by November 18th, 2020, he had five total with 27 counts of financial misconduct. Uh, On December 9th, the grand jury issued seven more financial crimes of 21 total uh, forgery, money laundering, computer crimes, breach of trust with fraudulent intent, obtaining signature or property by false pretenses. The South Carolina Attorney General believes he stole more than $6.2 million from his victims. Then, on January 22, 2022, the state grand jury issued four indictments and then 23 new charges that included 19 counts of breach of trust with fraudulent intent, four more counts of computer crimes. Then he was indicted again, June 2022, for his connection of an eight-year partnership with Curtis, another lawyer, of money, or no, I'm sorry, his cousin, of money laundering in the painkiller ring. So I believe there's been 81 charges so far. And then finally, on July 14th, 2022, he was indicted uh, for the murder of his wife and son. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. 
Um, I could see him trying to kill himself too, eventually. Because mm-hmm. yeah. he's a coward. He is. Yeah. Um, and, and what he might have done is like, let's say, because I go back and forth. But let's say that he did want to commit suicide and then either he chickened out or his cousin chickened out. But he had to spin the story. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, well, I wanted to leave my son money. Yeah. But in prison, I don't know. How long has he been in there? Over a year? Uh, well, he, uh, yeah. Yeah. Probably just a little over. Well, I would think if he was going to kill himself, he'd already done it by now. Right. Well, I mean, he, I guess in jail. I mean, with everything he has going, you know, and all oh, the how charges get any worse, and how it could get get any worse. You know, did they prosecute the dad for witness tampering? Mm-mm. The dad died not oh, long after. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was another okay. lawsuit. Just to oh, go ahead. How did he die? It, oh, he yeah. was he was sick. Not of natural causes, like, okay. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Yeah, he was sick and he was dying anyway. So, Uh, but here's the cherry on top. There was another lawsuit filed in September of 2022. Here is what occurred. According to an exclusive report. So this is from, the link is in the show notes. Okay, I have no idea. It'll be in the show notes. (laughs) Um, an exclusive report filed by Michael DeWitt of the Hampton County Guardian. The newest civil lawsuit was filed last Friday on behalf of Manuel Santiz Cristiani, a resident of Chiapas, Mexico, and former client of Fathead, a.k.a. Murdoch, and the Hampton, South Carolina-based firm normally, formerly known as Peters, Murdoch, Parker, Eltsroth, and Dietrich. They called it, they called it PMPED. Santis Cristiani's lawsuit named Murdoch as a defendant, but also named his former firm and two of his former law partners, Ronnie Crosby and Michael F. Barnes III. Murdoch's alleged financial crimes co-conspirator, disgraced banker Russell Lafitte, is also named as a defendant, as is the financial institution he used to work for, Palmetto State Bank. In other words, it is tracking along the very same lines as a broader conspiracy this news outlet first reported on in detail back in September 28th in connection with the federal criminal probe. According to a copy of the suit obtained by this news outlet, Murdoch and his former law partners aided and abetted Lafitte and PSB in the breach of their fiduciary duties. Specifically, it alleged that Crosby, Barnes and the law firm aided and abetted Lafitte and the bank in the breach of fiduciary duties by participating in a scheme through which Santis Cristiani would not receive any proceeds of any settlements in the aftermath of a 2008 vehicular accident. So it's the same scheme that they used with Satterfield's uh, sons. And there was other ones, too. It wasn't just those those two. There was more. Santis Cristiani was a passenger in a vehicle traveling along Interstate 95 in Colton County, South Carolina, on November 4th, 2008, when the tread separated from the right rear tire of the vehicle, causing it to overturn. According to the suit, Santis Cristiani 
uh, retained the law firm to represent him in legal action against the driver of the vehicle, the manufacturer of the tire, which was Michelin, and the manufacturer of the vehicle, which was Ford. The lawsuit was filed on April 30th, 2011, and then settled September 24th, 2013 for a sum unknown to the plaintiff. Upon the settlement of the suit, the lawyer deposited the funds with PSB and Lafitte was acting as a conservator for the funds. What happened next? Nothing. At least as far as the victorious plaintiff was concerned, defendants failed to inform him of the amount of funds recovered on his behalf, and to this date, he's never received any funds from the lawsuit. So how much did he win in the lawsuit and what happened? There are two key questions the lawsuit is seeking to cover, but those who have followed this saga from the beginning probably have a good idea of what sort of alleged conspiracy may have deprived this defendant of his reward. According to the filing, which was submitted by attorney Glenn Walter, Sr. of Orangeburg, South Carolina, Santis Cristiani is entitled to an accounting of all the funds recovered, and they want to know how much and an immediate accounting, and they want him to get his money. Murdoch and Lafitte were childhood friends from prominent and powerful families, and they used that to fleece their own clients and community. Lafitte was fired from the bank, and then three months later, he was indicted on multiple criminal conspiracy charges tied to various Murdoch-related escapades. He's also federally indicted for bank fraud, wire fraud, and more. Murdoch has yet to be charged federally. Um, investigators say that Lafitte's fraud is $8.79 million. And then... You know, go ahead. Well, Murdoch is facing 731 years in prison, and that doesn't even include for the murders of his wife and child. Yeah, it's just sad, though, if he even gets charged with the murder of his wife and daughter, because he's going to be in so long. Most of those people aren't going to see justice. Mallory. Oh, I think man, they're going after him. No, he'll get convicted of the murders. Him. Well, the families are suing him, but no charges have been bought, brought for Mallory for the housekeeper. Oh, I see what you're saying. That he'll murder for that young man. Yeah, I mean, he'll go to jail for killing his wife and child. But as far as Satterfield and all them, yeah, hopefully he'll go to jail for that. But he mostly is being charged for drugs and financial crimes. And it's like the victim. Well, he was charged for murder. He was. But just because he was charged, you know, that doesn't mean it'll go through. Oh, it'll 100% go through, I think. I mean, why would they go after the financial crimes and not convict him of murder? Well, they may. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he's gotten so many years already for all the financial crimes and things he's done. Sometimes the victims are just left by the wayside. Or they have such a strong case for one that they'll um, not dismiss it, but they'll um, keep it in their back pocket. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I mean, Mallory's hardly mentioned anymore when it's on the news. It's just the crimes, the financial crimes, the bank, the other lawyer, well, the family. I, I get dead. that, but there's nothing to do now because Paul's dead. So, I mean, of yeah, course, they're going to report on the other. But no, I, I think they're going to go after him for murder and he's going to be convicted. They've got physical evidence. They've got audio and video evidence. They, they have what they need to get him. 
Yeah. If they didn't, I could see them going after him for the financial crimes and keeping oh, yeah. the murder in their back pocket. It's kind of like, a, like in Texas, one thing I admire about what they do is, like, let's say, um, and I think they did this with Tommy Sells, um, where he was, you know, guilty of several crimes in Texas, but they only went after the one and they kept the other ones in their back pocket. That way, if he was let off, they could go after him for the next one. Yep. I yeah. agree with that. And the final Sad. thing is, um, friend of Buster's said he's not doing very well. Um, that he, he's never gone back to the hunting lodge, which I guess he was living there with his mother. Uh, when his mother and brother were, uh, I mean, he was living out there when his mother and brother were killed. He cleared out his belongings. He's not gone back to the beach house where his mother lived before she died. He's hardly responding to text messages. Um, he's not hanging out with his friends. Um, they say it looks like he's aged 10 years. But I was wondering where he was the night of the murders if he was living at the hunting lodge. Yeah. And I don't want to... they haven't found saying that he was there i mean you know what i mean so yeah. maybe he might be the only it's, he might be the only semi-innocent person in the whole family i know and it's hard to think he could be in that family <laughs> um especially if he was tied to steven's death you know which they can still i mean if they can get evidence that he was tied to mm -hmm. steven's death he could go to jail too yeah, sad. I, I couldn't imagine being the only one left of the family. The hate the town feels against Murdoch's. I mean, it's no wonder he goes out and he's depressed. And he still lives in the town. I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd yeah. move. Yeah, I'd move. So That's this sad. this case is a twist and turn. I mean, I didn't even count how many bodies do we have surrounding this family. We've got Gloria, Stephen. Uh, Mallory. Uh, and the mom and dad. Brother. No. Or the mom and brother. There's five. Yeah. Five. Yeah. And five. you know what? Who knows what else there is? Right. Usually when there's this much, there's, there's always more mm -hmm. with someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think probably what I'll do, just preview for our people I apologize for some of the technological things going on at the beginning, but um, I am going to be interviewing next Saturday that guy I was telling you about that had lunch with the killer. Right, right. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I'll research her case a little bit more. Um, but I, I am trying to decide if I want to, because it's a local, you know, interview, and we're doing local mm -hmm. cases for our mini-series in February. So I may you know, wait to have it as a bonus with that series, or I might do it before we drop those episodes in March. But I'll be doing that, and I'm also going to start digging around in depth into Brian Koberger. Uh, everything is pretty much going like I thought it would. Um, you know, they found out he was stalking them. His cell phone was pinged there 12 times before the murders. He went back to the crime scene. He did not kill the roommate that saw him leaving the house. Um, and then I also the other day heard in passing that he um, did target one of the, the girls because there were some exchanges either through text messaging or, or, or some type of messaging app. 
And, and uh, these are the Idaho murders. Yeah, the Idaho yeah. murders. Yeah. So yeah. he's definitely a serial killer. And um, but he didn't get very far. But he definitely killed four in one night. I mean, that's amazing to me still that he was able to do that by himself. Me Four. too. He said he was a serial killer in the making. Three mm-hmm. to be considered one. Well, you know, no, it has to be a series. So you could technically call him a spree killer, but he's he doesn't really fit that um, mo. For it to be a serial crime, it has to be two separate instances, at least of two separate murders. So just because he killed four people doesn't make him a serial killer. So but, I missed but, one, and that's but, what I was trying to put my... But my years ago, a serial killer was more than three. Right. Yeah, they've it reduced it to two. Over time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he, he will be fascinating. Uh, and um, I hate to use this term, but it's kind of an exciting situation here to dive into him just because, um, you know, he's... He, He's, he's just interesting to me. You know, there's some killers that it's like, okay, yeah, but there's some that they're, I guess the psychology maybe of what's going on here, but he was definitely a disorganized serial killer and, uh, versus an organized. So he's not Ted Bundy. I mean, people keep saying he's like, you know, today's Ted yeah, Bundy. I don't see that. They compare him to Ted Bundy. It's he's nothing the, like Bundy. It's only because of the amount of students in a um, college house college yeah that's what i think too Mm -hmm. but yeah i think he was a lot smarter than this kid and i've been um diving into how they got them it's very interesting they did fabulous police work kudos to the the police that were involved they just kept their mouths shut let everybody talk bad about them and they just kept working so it'll be really really neat but i've not had lunch so I'm, How many are we having? I'm Maybe, very hungry. Uh, um, let's see. Let me look real fast. And I hope that y'all know your sayings because oh, it is uh, it is time. One, two, three, four, five, six. Um, I bet we have seven because the Texarkana murders, the Phantom murders, will probably be a part one and a part two. I'm good with how many we do. We've done quite a few in one sitting, so we'll be fine. Yeah. All right. So hit us off, Elena, uh, with our sayings. Be smart. Don't be a victim. Be mean. (laughs) Wait, be rude. Be rude. I just hung up on them, guys. It is uh, be smart. Be rude. Don't be a victim. Be smart. Be rude. And don't be a victim. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? Ah!